right, all right. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. It doesn't work. Um, on this beautiful spring morning, hopefully you had a nice weekend. We spent some time outside, so hopefully you did too. If you want to stand with me, we'll begin um, our service this morning with the call to worship. Like we do every week, we are... Remembering that why we're here is God is calling us to worship him. And we're acknowledging that by um, reading God's word to us, reminding us of that. And so our call of worship this morning comes from Isaiah 55. I'll read the bold section if you'll read the non-bold after me. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Amen. If you want to remain standing and turn to the handout in your bulletin, we'll sing Rock of Ages. Confession of sin. You know, I was thinking that uh, there may or may not be uh, folks who don't understand why we always go through a confession of sin, you know. And Pastor may have a little different take on it, but uh, what we're presenting here 
is the gospel, which is good news, right? Well, good news from what? Well, the good news is there because even though we were unlovable, God chose to love us anyway. That's a pretty big deal. The confession of sin is a remembrance that um, we need to be safe. That there's a need that we have that we cannot get in and of ourselves. There's no works that we can do. It only comes through Christ. And so I just thought that was kind of something that uh, we, needed to, we needed to hear in case there was any misunderstanding. Our confession of sin comes from John 3.19. And this is the judgment. And another way you could say that is the reason for God judging is the light has come into the world, that is Christ. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We love the darkness rather than light. Why is that? Because the light sheds light on everything that we're doing. We can see more plainly and more clearly the things that... Uh, that we are doing and in our natural selves we don't like that so that's that's what that's all about the reason for God judging is because we see this light so we have uh, this morning a prayer of confession I, I would like you all to join me in this prayer of confession Heavenly Father holy is your name you are the creator of all things. You have created the heavens and the earth. You have created light itself by the word of your power and separated the light from the darkness. And we, in our sin, are in darkness. We seek to hide our sin from the light. We try to conceal and cover our evil deeds. But in doing so, we only sin more. Forgive us, Lord, when we try to hide our iniquity from you. Help us to confess our sin and our need for Christ. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, produce in us this fruit of holiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you please turn with me to hymn number 224, Before the, the Throne. soul is 
of our pardon and that's the hope that we have in John 8 34 through 36 Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that though we were unlovable, you chose to love us. You've given us, Father, a, a, a place of salvation, a place of sanctification, a place of justification through your Son, Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that though we were unlovable, that you still chose to send your son. Thank you, Lord. Father, we lift up all the churches that are throughout the world, Lord. The churches that are in Canada who are struggling with uh, a Marxist government, uh, pretty much the same in, in Australia. Scotland, where they're still closed down as far as I know. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you, Lord, and ask, Father, for your grace to be poured out on them. That through these hard times, Lord, may it make us stronger. May, may it make us more appreciative of your work in us, Lord. And may this be a time where your love is shed abroad to those who are around us, who sees the hope that is in us that they may not have and that they so desperately need. Father, be with us the rest of this, this uh, morning. Be with Pastor Kendall as he brings your word. Ready our hearts. Ready our minds. Let us be open to your truths, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In our 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, if you would read this along with us here. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with Him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things He has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon Him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so it was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, 
of the seed of Abraham and David according to the scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Amen. You all can be seated this morning. As I said, it's um, good to be with you all this morning, and it's, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, we were in Bloomington last week at Faith Lutheran, who's been um, a church that supported us in this church plant, and it was great to go there and visit them and hear about what God's doing for them, and I got to preach there, which was blessing for me, um, just to see all these people that have prayed for us, supported us financially, um, have come and visited us. The pews are the, the hymnals in our pews are from them. So it's just such a gift to go there and give a good report of what God's doing here. And Daryl spoke last week, so uh, make sure to thank him for doing that. So, And I just want to thank everybody for all the stuff that, <laughs> that you all do to make this church possible, you know. The Dunbars, bringing coffee and donuts every week, people preparing the Lord's Supper, opening the doors, laying stuff out. It's just, it's <laughs> what makes this church um, run every week. So it's just a blessing, and I just wanted to thank you all for that. It's just making, um, going away for a week makes you fond of, and I missed you all, so it's great to be back. If you want to open up your Bibles with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, we'll be beginning this week um, the study of the, the Gospel of John. We've been in Romans. We did a couple short one-off series in the book of Psalms and um, other things like that. But now we are seeking to study the Gospel of John. And many of us are familiar with this book. I think it might be one of the more popular or well-known books in the Bible. And it's often referred to um, as the spiritual gospel. <laughs> Because of its high view of Christ, not that the other ones don't, but its explicit statements about the person and work of Christ. And um, we have to ask this question, what is a gospel? We use that word a lot. We've used it in our service already. And sometimes we refer to it in the sense of good news. What it means is good news. And so we talk about it in the sense of what Christ has done for us and for our salvation. But... We, if you look in your Bible, you might see the heading. It says the gospel according to John. And so we're sort of using it in a different sense here in terms of a genre, a style of book, a, a literature, if you will. And so when we come to this gospel, it's important to understand what is a gospel. We have four of them in the scripture. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what is a gospel? Well, it's an historical account of what Christ did in his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. So it's a historical account, but it's also a theological account. It's not just history. It's not just Jesus went here, he did this, he did this, he did that. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's a theological account. And we'll see that in the Gospel of John, that John is not just telling us history, what happened, but he is telling us the theology behind that. And we'll see that as we get into the book. And so the Gospel of John at its core is about Christ. It's about his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. It's about his person, who he is, and his work, what he came to do. And it's not just information, as I said. It's not just a textbook. It is the Gospel. <laughs> it is the good news of what Christ has done for sinners. And so even though there are clear teachings about the divinity of Christ, the work of Christ, it's not just a textbook. It's not just something that we use to win arguments or to win um, all these different things. It's good news. And why is that? Why is it more than just information? It's so we might believe. It's so we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, and that he is the Son of God. And so that by believing, we might have life in his name. And so we're going to do a little bit of an introduction this week. Um, I promised myself I would never do introductions to books. I don't know why I don't necessarily love doing introductions to books, because I just want to get into it. But I think, John especially, it's important that we 
take a broad view, we step back a little bit and look at the whole book. And specifically this week, we'll look at um, the prologue, which is the first 18 verses of John's gospel. So this will be sort of an introduction. We'll look at three things, the theology of the book, the themes that run throughout the book, and the thesis or the purpose of the book. So if you want to turn with me, we'll read verses 1 through 18. I'll pray for us, and then we'll study God's word. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the word, for sending your only son, the only begotten Son of the Father, to take on flesh. And as we begin this study of the gospel according to John, we pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, illuminate our hearts, that we might see the truths of your word, that we might not just stand under them, but stand on them as a firm foundation that we have, that you've given us your holy, infallible word that we might believe. And you've given us John's gospel so that we might believe and that by believing we might have life in his name. Help us to believe these things this morning, to have faith in what you have done for us. And we need your help, Lord. We're weak, we're weak and weary sinners and we need your help this morning. So would you help us, Lord? Would you strengthen us and would you... Help us to trust in you this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, what, what great verses we have before us this morning. Um, the prologue, the Gospel of John. And this is written by the Apostle John. We see him referred in the Gospel as the beloved disciple. We see it throughout as this disciple that... Christ loved. And so this is the author of John's Gospel, written sometime between 70 and 90 AD. And like I said, some refer to this as the spiritual gospel. You might have heard of this term, the synoptic gospels, would be the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called synoptic because they're so similar. There's similar stories, the structure is similar. And um, there's a lot of repetition in the stories of what Christ did. And we see something different in John's gospel. 
Not that it's better or worse, it's just different. We see a different perspective. We see a different emphasis. If in Matthew's gospel, we see this focus on Christ as the Davidic king, the great king from David's line, from Abraham's seed, that would come and sit on the throne. In Mark's gospel, we see this emphasis on Christ as the suffering servant who came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve his people. In Luke's gospel, we see this emphasis on the perfect human nature of Christ, that he was man, but perfect, <laughs> that he never sinned at any point. And it's not that we don't see those things emphasized in all the gospels, but in a special way, those. And so when we come to John's gospel, we see this special emphasis on this idea of God incarnating. <laughs> the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, taking on flesh. The deity of Christ. That the Word, as we read this morning, the Word, also known as the Son of God, takes on flesh. And so as we come at these three things this morning, the theology, the themes, the, to- the topic, the thesis, hopefully we'll see that borne out as we go. So first, we'll look at the theology of the book. And it's really hard to stress enough how important (laughs) the theology that comes out of John's gospel is. Like I said, not that it's not in other places, but what we have here is very precious. The truths that are here are the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. Why are we Christians? Why are we Christ followers? It's not just because he was a good moral teacher or because he was a good example. It's because he was God incarnate. (laughs) Because God took on flesh to save sinners. And so the theology that makes up, especially even in the prologue, is central to what it means to be a Christian. And I say that because there's always confusion about who is Christ and what did he come to do. And this was not only true in the time that John was writing this gospel. There was people rising up, mystics and Gnostics, saying that Jesus was not really God. That he was just a creation of God. Or in the first couple centuries, there was Arianism, where there were people coming in saying that Christ was not God. He was the first and highest creation of God, but Jesus was not God. And so in the early church... The Gospel of John and specifically these verses we looked at today were central in the theology that came up in the early creeds and confessions of the church. There was all these attacks, heresies and false teachings about who Christ was saying he's not God. He's just a creature. He's just creation. And the early church fought those heresies with what we see in John's Gospel and especially in the prologue. One of those is the Nicene Creed where we see this orthodox Christology come out, or Christology is just the teaching of who Christ is. And so we see these words in the Nicene Creed, which is talking about Christ, and they say he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And so they're saying Christ was God. (laughs) He was not anything less than God. And to say he's less than God is to not be a Christian, it's not to be orthodox. And so John 1.1, as we read this morning, was used to, to substantiate that, to prove that. And this is critical because as we see, if you look at those earlier creeds, what's the first thing that they say? Whoever will be saved must believe this. And it ends with, you must believe this or you're not in the faith. And so these are critical things. This isn't, what's happening in John's Gospel, and especially in the prologue, is not just kind of a second-handed issue. It's central to what it means to be a Christian, to what we believe as Christians. And that's where we get the word creed from, credo, to believe what we believe about the faith. And so it's important to look to these things, what we must believe to be saved. So this is some of the key theology of the Gospel of John. And next, we'll look at some of the key themes that are in John's gospel. And not just in John's gospel as a whole, but in the prologue. So what is a prologue? Um, I was thinking this week about, I don't know if any of you are familiar with operas or um, plays or maybe a Broadway play that you're familiar with. Or I was thinking about, I think it's White Christmas. If you listen, there's usually opening credits, right? And there's this thing called an overture, which is where all the parts of... 
all the songs throughout the play or the opera or whatever are woven together in this overture, in the beginning first couple minutes. And so you hear these tunes that will come up later in the opera or in the play or in White Christmas, if you love that movie like I do, right? Right? Okay, we have a fan. So there's, there's, there's these themes that come up in the beginning. There's this overture that plays, and you're meant to listen closely and hear these themes that come up. And then when you hear them later, whether it's an hour or five minutes, you're reminded that was in the beginning. And it's part of developing this multi-layered thing that is a play or an opera or whatever it is. And so we see a similar thing happening in the prologue. And if you sit down and study just the first 18 verses and then look at the rest of John's gospel, it's, it's amazing to see how many things come up over and over again. And so I'll just state eight of those major themes. We'll look at each kind of one and see how it comes up later. So the first one is the pre-existence of the word. The pre-existence of the word. That's theme number one. We see this in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. That the son or the word was not created. The son or the word was not invented. But the word is divine. The word is uncreated. Existed before. The word didn't come into existence in the first century. The word was pre-existent. That's the first theme. And we see that in verse 1. We see that in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So this is a great theme, this pre-existence of the Word, that the Word was not created. The Word was always there. And we see this come up in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says these famous words. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So we see this again, this pre-existence of the word. Abraham was born 100, or not sorry, 150, 1,500 years before Jesus was even born. He's saying, before Abraham was, I was. The pre-existence of the word. We also see this in the second theme, the light of the world. We see this come up in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We see it also in verse 8 and in verse 9. This is not talking about just physical illumination, but salvation. In Isaiah 49, chapter, or verse 6, it's talking about this light that's going to come into the world, this light of the nations, and this light is going to bring salvation. So this light is not just talking about illumination, but salvation, redemption, all these great things. This is promised in Isaiah And we see again in John chapter 8, what does Jesus say? One of the famous I am statements. I am the light of the world. He's identifying himself with that Old Testament passage saying, this light that was going to come to the nations, this salvation that was going to come, I'm that. And we'll look at that more later when we get to John 8. But that's a theme that comes up. There's other themes. I won't go into a lot of detail on all these, but theme number three is light and darkness. We see this in verse 3. We see this later developed in John chapter 3. We read it this morning in our confession of sin. We see this other theme of witnessing or testimony. We see John as a testimony. It comes up later in John where there's this idea of the works that Christ does are a witness, are a testimony to who he is and what he came to do. And then he even says, the Father testifies about me. And so we see this theme of witnessing, of testimony. The theme of glory comes up in the signs that Christ does. He later says in John 17, glorify me. These great themes are throughout. We have the theme of life, the theme of the world, the theme of this relationship between the Father and the Son. And all these things are developed not only in the prologue, not only come up, as we said, like in the overture, but they are developed throughout John's gospel. And we see them developed more and more, expanded on the importance of all these things that we see in the prologue. And so like an overture, these things develop throughout the gospel. But maybe at the center, if we can say that, is this thesis, this great purpose of why John wrote this gospel. This doesn't happen in every book in the Bible, but in John's gospel, we see John tell us why he wrote it. 
And so if you want to turn with me to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 31, we see John tell us why. Why did he write this? Why was this book written? What is the purpose of this book? What's the thesis of John's gospel? We've seen a lot of themes that come up, but why did John write this gospel? And in John chapter 20, verse 31, verse 30 and 31, it says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that are written... Sorry, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. We see John here tell us that there was other things that Christ did. Not everything Jesus did is in John's gospel. So this is a curated book. It is specified. These are the things that are written. There's other things. You can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke to see those other things. There's even more. He goes on to say that you can fill books that books couldn't even contain all that Christ did. But these are written for what purpose? So that we might believe. So that we might believe that that's the whole point of John's gospel, that this is not just, as I said, a historical account. It's not just telling us what happened long ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, that's not even history, right? That's mythology. It's not that. It's not mythology. It's not just history. It's more than that. It's not even just saying Christ was a good teacher. He did good things. You need to be like him. You need to follow his example or do the things that he did. It's not just a historical account. It's not just a good example. It's not just saying, look at the cool signs that Jesus did. John's telling us why he wrote it, and it's so you might believe, and that by believing, you might have life. And what do we need to believe? John tells us two things, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He's the special anointed servant of the Lord. This special servant from Isaiah that would come and bring a light to the nations. That he is fully man. He's nothing less. He is fully man. He is the Christ, the special anointed servant of the Lord that took on human flesh, human nature for the benefit of sinners. But he's not only the Christ, as John says in verse 31, we must believe that he is the son of God. That he is very God, a very God, sent by the Father, sent by the Father, became what he was not, human, never ceasing to be what he always was. He became what he was not, human, never ceasing to be what he always was, divine, God. Uh, that's not my saying. That's, I won't take credit for that. That's an old, I, forget, I think it was Gregory of... Um, somewhere that said that, but great statement on the truth that we are confessing, that he became what he was not, never ceasing to be what he always was. We could call this the two-natured redeemer, that Christ is fully God and fully man. That's what we're confessing, that's what John is putting forward, and that's what we must believe in the two-natured redeemer. Human nature, divine. And then what does he say? That by believing you might have life in his name. So we not only need to believe, but by believing, we receive something. We receive life. And you say, I'm alive. <laughs> I don't need, what, is, what are you talking about? This is not a superficial life. I think sometimes there's songs on the radio that talk about speaking life. You know, and what they really mean is just be positive. <laughs> speak life to someone. You know, if I speak life to my wife, that means encourage her or tell her she looks pretty. You know, it's, it's kind of a superficial speak life. That's not what John's saying. That by believing you might have a life. It's not a superficial life. It's not even natural life. It is a supernatural life. It's not something, it's not a quality of life that we have by birth. We all have life when we're born. 
right? When we're born, that's what it means to be human, is to be alive. To be born is to be alive. That's not what John's talking about. It's not something that we have by nature of our natural birth. We aren't born with this life. We aren't given this life by what family we're in or what bloodline we're in. We can't earn this life. We can't work enough to receive this life that John is talking about. Something else needs to happen. It's a different type of birth, as John will say in his gospel, a new birth. This life that John is talking about only comes from the new birth, being born again, to be born from above, as some translations say. We call this regeneration. So when John says that by believing you might have life, he's talking about this new birth. He later says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. This is the life. This is the quality or type of life that John is talking about. It's not natural life. It is eternal life, as John will also say. And so we can see the point of the whole book is so that we might believe. So we might know the person of Christ, that we might believe in the work of Christ, and that by believing we might have life in Christ. That we might believe, know, and by believing we might have life. And so there's really only one response we should have to this, and that is to believe and to worship. Doxology. We sing the doxology every week. That's kind of a word we don't use a lot. What does it mean? To praise. It begins with praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. When we read John's gospel and John's prologue, it should produce marvel and joy and praise to God for what he's done. Because the truth is, we are messed up. Why did God have to take on flesh? Why was that important? Was it just because God felt like doing it? No, it's because we are messed up sinners. We could not save ourselves. We needed something outside of ourselves to save us. And in some of the great catechisms, it asks these two questions. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? And the answer is that because of his human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment that we deserve. Stand in our place, this perfect atonement. What Adam failed to do, we need a better Adam. And then the second question it asks is, why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of his divine nature, his obedience and his suffering might be perfect and effective. Perfect in that it never failed at any point, but also effective. That because of his divine nature, his benefits could come to us. Nobody else that's just human can suffer for us and give us their benefits. They must be divine. And that is why we need Christ, that God became man for us and for our salvation, that we are messed up, unworthy sinners, and Christ has come, taken on flesh, to save us from our sins, stand in our place, and so that we might believe in him. And so a couple responses that are typical when people hear this good news is, I need more. I need more. I need more signs. I need a word from God. I need more information. I won't believe. Give me more. This is just a dead old book. I need more signs. I need more things to believe. This is not enough. And we see people, even in the Gospel of John, that are, have this type of thinking. John records Christ feeding the 5,000, miraculously multiplying loaves. And what do they do? After they follow him, they say, what other signs do you do? What other things can you do for me? What he did was not enough. They need more. Is there a ghost in here? What's happening? <laughs> right? There's a sign. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, this is the, maybe this is like the orchestra at the, um, at the Oscars is telling me to wrap up. Okay. <laughs> People look for more signs. They want more. It's never enough. We see here, John is saying, these things are written so that you might believe. And so, these signs that Christ does are not meant to make us want more signs. Or to just see Christ as useful. 
for our own purposes. These signs are recorded so that we might look at the signs and say, that is a glorious Savior. That is a glorious Savior. And we're not meant to look at the bread, the multiplied bread. We're meant to say, that is the Son of God that can save me from my sins. That is the man that raised Lazarus from the dead, that can raise me to spiritual life. That's what we're meant to see. And then the other response that's typical is people would hear these great words in John's gospel and they would say, okay, now what do I need to do? What do I need to do? We also see this recorded in John's gospel. The people ask in John 6, what must we do? What works must we do? And what does Christ say? This is the work of God that you believe in he whom the Father has sent. That's the work that we're to do. As we read in our call to worship, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. It's saying it's free. There's nothing that you need to do. The bread is free and it's satisfying. It's satisfying. It's good. It's rich. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Christ is the bread of life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. There's no more work for us to do. We need to believe. And that, is, that should be our response this morning. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, this part of the service every week where we look to what Christ has done through a physical sign, we see the body in the bread, we see the blood in the wine, and we're meant to say, Christ died for me. Christ broke his body and spilled his blood for me so that I might be covered, so that my sin might be atoned for. I couldn't do that. We cannot do that. But Christ has come so that we might believe, that we might have faith in what he has done. And that's why an important part of this, we've talked about the Father, we've talked about the Son, that's why we also need the Spirit, <laughs> this Trinitarian work of God. What does the Spirit do? What's one of the work of the Spirit? To apply the benefits that Christ won to his people. <laughs> Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God, and the Spirit, by faith, applies the work that Christ has done. And so in the supper, we're remembering the Spirit's work in applying the work of Christ's redemption to us. All the benefits that he has won are given to those that by faith remember and believe in what he's done. So, if you're not a believer, if you, don't, if you have not confessed the Lord as Christ as Lord, then we ask that you don't partake, that this is not for you, that it's an empty symbol, and that in doing that, in an unworthy way, Paul says that you bring judgment on yourself. So we're to examine ourselves, we're to see whether we're in the faith, we're to examine ourselves and see, is there sin? Is there unrepentant sin in my heart that I have not brought to God? Do I have a sin against my brother, a sin against my neighbor? We're to do that. We're to confess our sins to God. But if we're believers, we're meant to, as we do each week, not only confess, but remember that Christ has made a way and rejoice in that pardon that we've received through the shed blood and body of Christ. And so we're to remember that. So let's pray this morning. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word, for this time that we get to set aside each week to worship you in spirit and in truth and rest in the finished work of Christ. And we pray this morning that you would awaken our, our, our lazy, <laughs> distracted hearts and that you would help us to see the finished work of Christ. And that as we've heard the word this morning, may we see the word visibly in the Lord's Supper. May we remember all that you have done for us and you've given us this ordinary means of grace whereby we might be matured in our faith, assured of Christ's sacrifice for sinners like us. And may we see, eat, and believe that you have done this for us and that by faith we're united to Christ and all his benefits. So this morning, would you set aside these common elements for your holy purposes, and may we be assured this morning that for those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. If you want to stand, we'll form a line and take the elements back to your seat, and we'll partake together.
We're reminded that the Lord, on the night on which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So each week, we take the bread, we remember, and we believe that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And in the same way, we take the cup of blessing, and we bless, and we remember that this is a communion with the blood of Christ, that his blood was spilled and poured out for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Amen. If you want to stand, we'll respond this morning and rejoice by singing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
now come to the time of our service where we respond again to what God has done by tithes and offerings, by giving a part of what God has graciously given us, giving it back to Him as an act of worship. And so you can go to our website, there's a giving tab there, or you can give physically here. But each time, whether you're giving physically now or online, we're to remember that this is an act of worship to God. So let's play and pray and bless the offerings. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us, all that you've provided. Great is your faithfulness. And we give a portion of what you've given us back to not only worship you, not only in worship of all that you are and all that you've done, not to receive anything, but because of all that you've graciously given us. And so we pray that you would bless these offerings, that they would be a sweet, pleasing aroma to you, and that they would be used for the growth of your kingdom. Um, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. membership, it'd be great to have you. Um, we'll be directly after this service, so we'll find a room, maybe the conference room or something. Um, come see me. I'll get you a packet that we're going to go through, and I'll get your lunch order. I think we're going to get Jimmy John, so um, we'll, but we'll provide that. So, um, yeah, you're dismissed.